there are several things that uh, draw us together this morning. Just the simple fact that all of us who are in this audience this morning and every person who is walking the face of this earth has been made in the image of God draws us together. But more importantly than that, we are the children of God. And we have all at some point in our past, if we are Christians, we have made the decision to uh, be God's children in a very special and unique way. And so that draws us together this morning, but also as we have thought about this morning, what our great God has done for us, the free gift that we've been reminded of this morning that he offers to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, draws us together this morning, but also as we have just sung, his resurrection and the great victory that he has conquered death and the devil in his resurrection and the resurrection that he has promised all of us who are his children and his followers that we one day will experience together. And so all of those things, I hope all of those great thoughts have been on your mind this morning as we have worshiped our good and great God. You might want to go ahead and open your Bible to the book of Habakkuk once again and to chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2 is where we will be spending our time in uh, this hour this morning. Today, of course, as our brother Gavin reminded us in the 9 o'clock session, we are focusing our minds upon the message of this prophet named Habakkuk. In that earlier session, Gavin uh, got us started in that quest as he read the book for us, as he kind of gave us an overview of the message that God through Habakkuk was trying to uh, tell to his world. And then he addressed that question, where is God when bad things happen? As we look into our world and we see all the evil and all the ungodliness and all of the wickedness that is around us, that we certainly know that God, he didn't desire all of that when he created his good world. He doesn't like all of that. He hates it, in fact. But where is God in our world as it is crumbling apart? And I think he did just an excellent job of answering that question from the book of Habakkuk. As he stated to us in that session, there are so many people, whether they realize it or not, they're really asking that question of where is God? And we as God's people, we need to be ready to give them an answer from the scriptures as to where God is. And I think in part, the scripture, the text that we're going to look at from the book of Habakkuk this morning is going to go along really well with that particular question. And Habakkuk, God really in this discussion in chapter 2, he answers that question in a very profound way. So I hope you'll keep that question in mind as we go through our lesson this morning. But in this session, we want to turn our attention to uh, the final woe of chapter 2. There are four woes, or maybe as you think about it, if you want to include what is said there uh, back at verse 6 about the people saying to this person, woe to him. If you want to include that, there's five woes in this chapter. But we come to the final one in our lesson this morning, and we want to consider that. But also along with that, we want to think about the great promise and the great blessing that is found at the very end of Habakkuk chapter 2. So once again, as our brother Don already read for us a few moments ago. Let's go back and read the last three verses of Habakkuk chapter 2. Verse 18 beginning, what profit is the idol? Uh, is the idol when its maker has carved it or an image, a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own, in his, uh, own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake! 
and to a mute stone arise. And that is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. As we think about, first of all, the woe that is mentioned to us in this text, it is that of the worthless idols. As Jeremiah, again, or rather Jehovah, is issuing this series of woes, as I've already mentioned, if you want to include back to verse 9, verse 12, verse 15, and here at verse uh, 19, they are primarily speaking or spoken against, I think, an evil people. Gavin addressed that in the earlier session. That God through His prophet here is speaking or giving some series of woes or condemnations, if you will, consequences to first of all and primarily the Chaldeans, those who were in Babylon. They were, as the writer here says early on in chapter 1, as God is speaking here and He is calling upon Habakkuk to look at the Chaldeans, He says about them in verse 6 that they are a fierce and impetuous people. They're marching through the earth. They, they are this barbaric, we might almost say. They are this fierce, this violent nation of people. And God, of course, through, again, the message of Habakkuk is speaking primarily against them. However, the last of these woes, and it could be even the ones that were mentioned before, but the one that we're focusing on this morning in this hour, the last of these woes was very much not just applicable to the Chaldeans, but it was also very much applicable to God's people, the nation of Judah at this time. As Gavin pointed out to us there in the earlier session, we don't know exactly when the book of Habakkuk was written. We don't know exactly when Habakkuk was the spokesman for God, but it was somewhere toward the end of the nation of Judah's history. And so the northern kingdom, as we talk about the divided kingdom period, the northern kingdom, that of Israel, has already been taken away into Assyrian captivity decades before. But here we are coming down to just those being considered as God's people as the nation of Israel. Sure, it is truly the case that the Chaldeans were steeped in idolatry. They were a people that by this point were fully given over to idolatry. But as we think about Judah, as has already been pointed out today, Judah wasn't that much better when it came to idolatry. There's a number of passages as you look through the Old Testament, even as you just look into the prophets that Describe for us this message that God was sending through His messengers to warn His people, to encourage His people, to admonish His people, to urge His people to not be like the nations around them, to not be an idolatrous people. And yet this very much was a problem for them. If you go to the book of Jeremiah for just a moment, Jeremiah chapter 44, Jeremiah 44, and I want to just read verse 9 among many verses that we could read here. But God speaking through Jeremiah, he gives us a very vivid, a very graphic description of their idolatry and the kind of people that they had become by this point. He says there at verse 9, those who fashion a graven image are, are all of them futile, and their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know so that they will be put to shame. There, there is... Uh, this problem that was going on for generations among God's people, Israel as a whole, and it wasn't just a problem that the northern kingdom 
experience, but it was also a problem that their sister Judah experienced. And by the time many of these prophets were writing, yes, again, as they were looking at themselves as God's people and comparing themselves to the nations around them, they would think in their own mind, hey, we're at least not as far gone as they are. We're not as bad as they are. But things were very rapidly tending in that direction. And so Judah was supposed to be, of course, God's chosen people. They were supposed to be different. They were supposed to be unique among all the peoples of the earth. And so of all the peoples on earth at this time, Judah should have been among those who knew better. They should have known, as Habakkuk is saying here, as God is saying at the end of chapter 2, they should have known that God is the maker of all things. And yet here they were, as again, I think God speaking through Habakkuk is primarily describing the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, but also a very relevant message to his own people. They, of all people on earth, should have known that they were the maker of all of these worthless idols. Notice again verse 18, and as he asks these questions, he says, What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it? For its maker trust in his own handiwork, when he takes whatever tool that he is using, whatever implement he is using, and he takes that tool and he fashions that into a speechless idol, there is, of course, this woe that is issued. Of course, of all the people living on earth, those who are in the nation of Judah should have known that we are the makers of these things, and God is the one who has made us. Of all the peoples on earth, Judah should have known that the idols that they were carving with their own hands, that they were, as we just read in these two verses, that they were speechless, verse 18, that they were mute, verse 19. They were images, again, verse 19, in which there is no breath at all, that they are lifeless, that they are useless, that they are helpless to the people of Judah, while knowing the truth that it was Jehovah himself who was able to do all those things that the idols could not. That it was Jehovah who had the ability to communicate quite often with his people and to give them, in the words of Paul, as he is describing to the people there in the city of Athens about the unknown God in Acts 17, that it was Jehovah who had the power to give them life and breath and all things. It's very easy, I believe, for us, not just when we come to the minor prophets or the prophets in general, But it's very easy for us to look at people who have lived before us and to think how silly and how ignorant and yes, sometimes how stupid we might think that they were when it came to God. Because they, the nation of Israel, the the, uh, nation of Judah at this particular point, they had received revelation after revelation from God. They had received the law through Moses, his messenger, his prophet. They had received and had kings like David to lead them in his way. They had had the prophets come and speak to them the message, the will of God. And this has been going on for generation after generation after generation. And we might look at them and think, how in the world, knowing all that they knew about what God had said and the warnings he had given them time after time about, don't be like the nations, don't have idols before me, even as the Ten Commandments begins there in Exodus 20. How could they come to this point? But I would tell you, as we look at ourselves today who claim to be God's people, 
like Judah, we, not the people that are living around us. <laughs> it's easy for us, I think, to say sometimes in pride and arrogance and, and with a very haughty spirit to look at people that are out there in the world and to say, yes, they don't know God. And yes, look at all the idols that they have in their life. And look how far removed they are from what God's original design for mankind was and to pat ourselves on the back. But like Judah, we who are God's people, we should know today how worthless and how useless and how silly idols really are. And yet, how many idols do we as God's people serve today. I'm not talking about saying that we have some wooden or metal image in our house that we get up every morning and we bow down and we pray to that image. I'm not talking about that at all, but idolatry is very much real. It is very much alive in our culture and in our world, and it is even alive, sadly, sometimes in the life of those who are claiming to be God's people today. How many idols do we, brothers and sisters, serve and worship today? How many idols and images do we make and carve and fashion to please ourselves, just like God's people of old were doing? Yes, we have our idols today. Yes, the problem of idolatry has not gone away. We are still influenced, sadly, by idolatry, even as God's people. There is the idol of money, as our brother Mike has already spoken to us about this morning. That oftentimes we are just like that monkey that has our hand there in the coconut, grabbing hold tenaciously, with our last dying breath, to our banana, whatever that is. And sometimes for many of us in America today, it is money. That, that has become our God. That has become our idol. That is what drives our decisions. That, that is what drives our choices in life about what kind of job we're going to have or where we're going to live or what we're going to do or who we're going to associate with. It is all driven, it seems like, by the almighty dollar. And that's not just a problem outside of these walls here. That is a problem for us who are God's people. How many of us have made and carved and fashioned the image of money in our life? We serve the God and the idol many of us do in our culture today and even sometimes among God's people, the idol or the false god of sex. And we have made that the focus of all of our thought and of all of our energy. And we are just doing everything we can to serve and to worship the God of sex. We have allowed the idol of sports to infiltrate our life and to drive all of our decisions and to spend all of our time and all of our money on. We have given into the idol of pleasure and the idol of politics, and the idol of entertainment, and on and on. We've got a long list of idols, brothers and sisters, in our culture today, among even God's people today. And you know, a lot of those things aren't wrong. In fact, some of those things that I just mentioned on that list are blessings from God. Money is a great blessing that God has given to us. 
sex in its proper relationship of marriage. It is a great blessing. It is a gift that God has given to us. Sports can be a blessing to us. It can teach us and our children if they are involved in sports a lot of good life lessons about discipline and teamwork and getting along with people and working toward a goal and all of those kinds of things. There's nothing wrong with us enjoying the blessings, the physical blessings that God has given to us to enjoy some pleasures. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing, I don't know, inherently wrong with politics. Perhaps there is, but entertainment to just kind of step away from our normal routine of life and to just decompress, as we say sometimes. But I fear, even as I look at my own life, that these things have become idols. And Habakkuk's message to the people of God then and his message to us today is that those who have idols and those who trust in idols and those who pursue idols, the message is this little three-word word. Woe. Woe to you, he says. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood awake and to a mute stone arise. Let us take the words of this prophet, this faithful messenger of old to heart, even today. Let us take this word really to heart to think about it. And in the words of the Apostle John as he ended that first epistle to God's people in the first century, let us do all that we can to guard ourselves from idols because idolatry is very pervasive in our culture. And sadly, again, it has invaded the life of all of us who are Christians to some degree in some way. That's the bad news of the section that we're talking about this morning. Let's think about the good news. There's not only a woe that is issued here, but there is also a great blessing. And the woe, as we spoke of just a moment ago, was those idols that are worthless. The blessing on the flip side is to think about our worthy God and the relationship that we have with Him. Because unlike There is a great contrast here, I think, just in these three verses. Unlike the worthless idols that the Chaldeans and the people of Judah had made, and as Gavin said to us a few hours ago, this really is applicable to every every nation that has ever been. In contrast to all of those idols that so many peoples have gone after and we go after, here is God speaking through his prophet Habakkuk and saying, God, the maker, the creator of all things, he is worthy. Our God is, again, there's so many contrasts, so many ways in which our God is not like the idols of old or even today. Our God is a God that is very much engaged with us. He is a God who is engaged with His creation. He is not a God who has made all the heavens and the earth and then He has stepped away and said, I'll just kind of let time run out and whatever happens, happens. He is a God that is very much engaged with His creation. He is a God who sees what goes on in this world and He sees what goes on in my life and He sees what goes on in your life for good or for bad. He is a God that more than that, He responds to us when we as His children call upon Him, although sometimes His response is not the response that we are anticipating or the response that we are wanting, but it is always the correct response. And He responds in His time and in His way. And this is the great God that we serve. It's not a speechless idol. It's not an idol that can't talk 
or communicate or lift a finger to help us in our time of need. God is very much an engaged God. I want you to go to the book of Jeremiah for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 10, in the early part of this chapter, is like what we are reading about here in, chapter, uh, in Habakkuk 2, verses 18 and 19, what we just read a few moments ago in Isaiah 44. Here, this, the prophet Jeremiah is giving us a picture, a description of idolatry and what happens to those who devote themselves to idols. But I want us to think as we're thinking about our great God, our worthy God, here on this particular point of the lesson, to think a little bit later here in this chapter as he talks to us about our great God, about our worthy God. So let's begin reading here in Jeremiah chapter 10 at verse 6. Jeremiah 10 and verse 6, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name and might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether stupid and foolish by, in their discipline of delusion. Their idol is wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Euphaz. The work of a craftsman and of the hands of a goldsmith, violet and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skilled men, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure His indignation. Thus you shall say to them, The gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens." It is He who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom, and by His understanding He has stretched out the heavens. When He utters His voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and He causes the clouds to ascend from the ends of the earth, and He makes the lightning for the rain and brings out the wind from His storehouses. Every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his molten images are deceitful, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of mockery. In the time of their punishment, they will perish. The portion of Jacob is not like these, for the maker of all is he, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. What a stark contrast again that Jeremiah is drawing for us here between the true God, the worthy God, the one who has created all things in whom we live and move and have our very being, and these worthless idols that cannot do a single thing for us. And so as Jeremiah writes about our worthy God in the passage that we just read, he says to us there that the one who made it all, our worthy and holy and awesome God, that He continues to work in His world that He has created. He continues to work in our lives as His children today. That He, as we, the last verse at least that we read in this section uh, from verse 16 here at Jeremiah 10, just as it was true for God's people of old, the people of Jacob, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Judah, it remains true today that God... God Himself is our portion. That God Himself is our inheritance. Again, verse 16, the portion of Jacob is not like these. The portion that God has given to His own people is not these worthless, futile, empty, vain idols. The portion of Jacob is not like these, for the Maker of all is He, and Israel is the tribe of His inheritance. That God 
is our inheritance, if you will. What greater blessing could we be given? Not all of these things that we devote so many hours to in our lifetime, not these things that we chase after, that we pursue with, with every fiber of our being many times that are going to be here for a little while and then they vanish. But if we are truly God's children, He is our portion. What a blessing. As we come back to the words of the prophet Habakkuk at the very last verse of this chapter that we are looking at in this hour, Habakkuk just says this very simply at verse 20, in contrast to the breathless, speechless, useless idols, he says, but, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Our worthy God then remains in his holy temple today. That's just where he has always been. And so as you're maybe continuing to think, in the, at least in the back of your mind this morning, about the question that Gavin introduced to us, where is God in all of this? Where, where is God when I am hurting? Where is God when I am suffering? Where is God when evil seems to be running rampant in our world today? Where is God? Habakkuk says resoundingly, God says through him, I'm all, I am where I have always been and always will be. I am in my holy temple and therefore, we, His creation, should be silent before Him. We should be people who are living our lives in reverence for Him and for re respect for His Word and His will. We should be people who are pausing quite often from our often hectic lives to thank and to praise and to honor and to adore our worthy God. And when we do this, we will not be a people who are under condemnation. We will not be a people who will experience woe in our life. No, we will very much be a people who will experience all the blessings that God intends for us to enjoy. And so as we close our lesson this morning, that's really the choice that I think God is putting before all of us, not just this day, but every moment of our lives. That we want to be people who experience woe, and hardships and problems in our life, or do we want to be people who experience the blessings of God? We, we attended, our family did, uh, Friday night and yesterday, a, uh, a youth weekend in Garland, Texas, at the Campbell Road Congregation, where Brother Jordan Schaus is coming to be with us for our youth weekend in a couple of months as uh, one of the preachers there, uh, a younger preacher even than Jordan, Jarrett uh, Ferguson, was uh, the speaker for their a youth series, and they were thinking about the song that we often sing, Our God, He is Alive. And just pulling out a few phrases from that particular song for uh, the young folks and really for all of us to focus upon. But Jared, in a couple of the sessions that he did, talked to us about some of these same things that the prophet Habakkuk is talking to us about. And there are so many people that are living around us that have so uh, many questions about why, why is our world in the state that it is in when you, your God, claims to be the God of all. He claims to be in control of everything. Why, why is the world the way it is now? And he gave us some good evidences to use and some good things to think about, about our God. But that, that is the world in which we live today and has been for a long time.
Where is God? And Habakkuk says very clearly to us that God is in his holy temple. How are you going to respond to that truth this morning? Are you going to just say, well, that, that's good and fine, but that doesn't really work for me because my life is full of heartache and trouble and strife and I've got all these challenges and I've got bills to pay and I've got kids to raise and God just doesn't seem very real to me. He doesn't seem to make a difference in my life. Or are you going to put your faith and your trust in this great God who has been and is and always will be in control of it all in His holy temple wanting us to just devote our lives in simple service to Him What about you this morning? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ, his son? If you're not, why don't you take advantage of this opportunity that God has given to you because of his love and his grace, his mercy, and his patience that you this very hour can make the decision that you want to surrender yourself to this great God who's in his holy temple. And you can come before this audience this morning confessing your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and repenting of your sins. You can be baptized into Christ and start to walk in newness of life. And there's going to be challenges. There's going to be bumps along the way. There's going to be detour signs that Satan will put out in your path and try to get you off. But you can know for certain that God's still in his holy temple and God has all the power in the world that he has always had and he will help you as you walk that journey. If you are a Christian and you're struggling with something, maybe as we have pointed out in the lesson today, you can look honestly at your life and you can see this particular thing, maybe even a good thing or a morally neutral thing, it has begun to take over my life. It has become an idol in my life. Would you not see the value in God? Would you not see the goodness of God? Would you not let that go, throw that out of your life and commit yourself fully to Him? Whatever your need is this morning, if we can help you, if we can encourage you, if you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ in any way at all, won't you do that now as we stand and as we sing?